Typically, Delius's thoughts meandered on, victory at Philippi had found Mark Antony without a viable strategy to put Octavian out of the power equation. For Antony was a force of nature, lusty, impulsive, hot-tempered, and quite lacking foresight. His personal magnetism was great, of that kind which draws men by virtue of the most masculine qualities, courage, and Herculean physique, a well-deserved reputation as a lover of women, and enough brain to make him a formidable orator in the house. His weaknesses tended to be excused, for they were equally masculine, the pleasures of the flesh and heedless generosity. His answer to the problem of Octavian was to divide the Roman world between them, with a sop thrown to Marcus Lepidus, high priest and owner of a large senatorial faction. Sixty years of on-again, off-again civil war had finally bankrupted Rome, whose people, and the people of Italia, groaned under poor incomes, shortages of wheat for bread, and a growing conviction that the betters who ruled them were as incompetent as venal. Unwilling to see his status as a popular hero undermined, Antony resolved that he would take the lion's share, leave the rotting carcass to that jackal Octavian. So after Philippi, the victors had carved up the provinces to suit Antony, not Octavian, who inherited the least enviable parts, Rome, Italia, and the big islands of Sicilia, Sardinia, and Corsica, where the wheat was grown to feed the peoples of Italia, long since incapable of feeding themselves. It was a tactic in keeping with Antony's character, ensuring that the only face Rome and Italia saw would belong to Octavian, while his own glorious deeds elsewhere were assiduously circulated throughout Rome and Italia. Octavian to collect the odium, himself the stout-hearted winner of laurels far from the center of government. As for Lepidus, he had charge of the other wheat province, Africa, a genuine backwater. Ah, but Marcus Antonius did indeed have the lion's share, not only of the provinces but of the legions. All he lacked was money, which he expected to squeeze out of that perennial golden fowl, the East. Of course, he had taken all three of the Gauls for himself, though in the West they were thoroughly pacified by Caesar and rich enough to contribute funds for his coming campaigns. His trusted marshals commanded Gaul's legions, of which there were many. Gaul could live without his presence. Caesar had been killed within three days of setting out for the east, where he had intended to conquer the fabulously rich and formidable kingdom of the Parthians, using its plunder to set Rome on her feet again. He had planned to be away for five years, and had planned his campaign with all his legendary genius. So now, with Caesar dead, it would be Marcus Antonius, Mark Antony, who conquered the Parthians and set Rome upon her feet again. Antony had conned Caesar's plans and decided that they showed all the old boy's brilliance, but that he himself could improve on them. One of the reasons why he had come to this conclusion lay in the nature of the group of men who went east with him. Every last one of them was a crawler, a sucker-up, and knew exactly how to play that biggest of fish, Mark Antony, so susceptible to praise and flattery. Unfortunately, Quintus Delius did not yet have Antony's ear, though his advice would have been equally flattering, balm to Antony's ego. So, riding down the Via Ignatia, 
on a galled and grumpy pony, his balls bruised and his unsupported legs aching, Quintus Delius waited his chance, which still hadn't come, when Antony crossed into Asia and stopped in Nicomedia, the capital of his province of Bithynia. Somehow every potentate and client King Rome owned in the east had sensed that the great Marcus Antonius would head for Nicomedia, and scuttle there in dozens, commandeering the best inns or setting up camp in style on the city's outskirts. A beautiful place on its own dreamy, placid inlet, a place that most people had forgotten lay very close to dead Caesar's heart. But because it had, Nicomedia still looked prosperous, for Caesar had exempted it from taxes, and Brutus and Cassius, hurrying west to Macedonia, had not ventured north enough to rape it the way they had raped a hundred cities from Judea to Thrace.